We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 675 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, October 11th, 2023, and the Orioles 2023 season is over. Uh, a 7-1 loss at the Texas Rangers on Tuesday night to conclude a three-game sweep in a best-of-five American League Division Series, not the postseason run that the O's fan was wanting. Uh, The O's now actually have lost eight consecutive playoff games. Uh, The O's were swept in four games by the Kansas City Royals in the 2014 American League Championship Series. The O's then lost the 2016 American League wildcard game in that brutal 5-2, 11-inning loss at the Toronto Blue Jays, a game in which O's manager Buck Showalter never used his ace reliever, Zach Britton. The less said about that game, the better. And now the O's have been swept in three games by the Rangers in a 2023 ALDS. So much to like with this Orioles season, uh, just not the ending of the season. Much more on the O's later in the show. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, a jam-packed show from a commander's perspective. Next segment, commander's analyst Mark Bullock of Bullock's Film Room, which you can find at markbullock.substack.com. You will hear a great in-depth, high-level X's and O's breakdown of the problem that is the commander's defense, what's going wrong and why, and most importantly, how to fix what's going wrong. Uh, You also will hear the truth about the season that edge defender Chase Young is having. A lot of chatter in recent days about how Chase is doing. Mark is going to provide us with the stone-cold truth, assuming that you can handle the truth. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! (laughs) Yes, hopefully you can handle the truth. Uh, And Mark has some terrific insight on quarterback Sam Howell. I promise you, you do not want to miss this if you're a Commanders fan. Commanders analyst Mark Bullock, next segment, high IQ 
Commanders conversation. And then we will get a look at the Commanders' next opponent, the Atlanta Falcons, as I'll be joined by Evan Birchfield of the Falcoholic, which is the SB Nation site for the Falcons. We will discuss Falcons quarterback Desmond Ritter, Falcons running back Bijan Robinson, Falcons head coach Arthur Smith, a man with quite a few ties to the Commanders franchise, uh, and a lot more. Commanders at the Falcons this Sunday afternoon at 1. Quick Nationals update. The team is expected to retain Darnell Coles as hitting coach. That per a tweet from Nats insider Andrew Golden of the Washington Post on Tuesday morning. So a number of changes to manager Davey Martinez's coaching staff. But the one change that Nats fans perhaps most wanted, Darnell Coles being out, uh, that is not happening. Also, we had some college football on Tuesday night. Liberty improved to 6-0 overall and 4-0 in Conference USA, a 31-13 win at Jacksonville State. Man, the Flames, they continued to roll. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Dr. CCB, who had been going to Washington football games with her aunt, for years. I have received many emails from Dr. CCB. She many times has talked about going to games with her aunt. Uh, Writes the doctor regarding the 40-20 loss to the Chicago Bears at FedEx Field last Thursday night. Ironically, I was in Chicago on travel for my job, and my auntie was in the hospital. So we missed the game. When I returned on Saturday, I received a phone call, and I went straight to the hospital My auntie passed away on Sunday morning, but I will definitely keep her spirit alive by keeping our season tickets. There is absolutely no excuse for the slow starts (laughs) with the defense or frankly, the offense either with its skill position players. A few years ago, the players complained and cried about the fans not supporting the team and booing the team. Now that the team finally has fans back in the stadium, the team puts up two anemic performances in home games in these losses to the Buffalo Bills and Bears. Really? What do you want us fans to do? If the team keeps acting like this, I may need to call Dr. George Verghese. (laughs) LOL. Goldie, I'm frustrated. Thanks for the therapy session. Well, thank you, doctor. I hear you. I do. And uh, all the best to you and your family. Uh, Yes, we in the 2018 season did have two Redskins players, running back Chris Thompson and corner Josh Norman, speak out on Skins fans in various ways. Not good. Not good at all. Email from Michael Lindsay on Commander's Ownership, the Josh Harris Group, including the tweet from limited partner Magic Johnson following the loss to the Bears last Thursday night. Quote, tonight the Commanders played with no intensity or fire. We didn't compete in the first half and got down 27-3 heading into halftime. It was too big of a hole to climb out of, and that is why we ended up losing 40 20 End quote. Writes Michael, hope you're doing well. I continue to listen to the pod every day, whether I'm domestic or international. Speaking of international, I've listened to you in Rome, Abu Dhabi, (laughs) Jamaica, Amsterdam, Turkey, and the list goes on. You're international, man. Well, thank you, Michael. Wow. Uh, Continues, Michael. To the purpose of this email, I am writing about your thoughts on Magic Johnson's tweet after the Bears game. In fact, I have two thoughts regarding the ownership group related to the Bears game. Let me start with Magic. Do you find it strange that a minority owner is so vocal about a win or a loss? Aren't minority owners supposed to be silent 
For example, who knew that Josh Harris was even a minority owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers or that Venus and Serena Williams are minority owners of the Miami Dolphins? I worry that Magic is weighing in so vocally. Listen, I am the biggest Magic fan in the world. I just don't get why we are hearing from him in such a demonstrative way. I also did not like that Josh Harris during the game was observed in his box laughing it up as we endured a pathetic performance from the team. Did it not bother Mr. Harris that we look so bad? It certainly did not appear so. Uh, In fact, now that I think about it, I would much prefer Josh Harris tweeting his disappointment with the team's effort than Magic doing so. Something seemed off to me about that. What say you? Am I overreacting here? Continue the great work. Well, thank you for that, Michael. Uh, An owner, especially a limited partner, speaking on social media after a game, uh, not normally advisable, no doubt. But there are two things to keep in mind with uh, Magic Johnson tweeting. First of all, he is, of course, not your normal sports owner. He is Magic Johnson, one of the great winners in the history of sports. I mean, the guy as a player for the Los Angeles Lakers, won five NBA titles in a span of nine seasons at one point, and the guy has killed it as an owner. Uh, Magic, as part owner of Major League Baseball's Los Angeles Dodgers, Major League Soccer's Los Angeles FC, and the WNBA's Los Angeles Sparks, has won titles. Uh, All of those teams have won championships with Magic as part owner. The Dodgers won the 2020 World Series, LAFC won the 2022 MLS Cup, and the Sparks won the 2016 WNBA title. So, (laughs) you know, there is a leeway that uh, Magic gets regarding, uh, shall we say, opining on winning and losing that most other people do not get. Additionally, and if you're a big NBA fan, you know this, but Magic Johnson on Twitter has been a bit of a punchline over the years. Uh, He tweets out a lot of stuff, including a lot of obvious stuff. Uh, Ryan Rossillo of The Ringer, a huge NBA guy, has mocked Magic plenty of times for the, like, obvious takes that Magic has put out on Twitter. I mean, even the end of what he wrote on Thursday night, quote, it was too big of a hole to climb out of, and that is why we ended up losing 40-20, end quote. Like, that was kind of (laughs) an extremely obvious, robotic, unnecessary thing to write, was it not? It was too big of a hole to climb out of, and that is why we ended up losing 40-20. Yeah, thanks. We got that, (laughs) okay? Uh, So I think that some of what was going on with the tweet from Magic on Thursday night was just Magic on Twitter, as opposed to something that was ultra-meaningful. Now, that said, Magic is part of the Josh Harris group, and Magic did say that the commanders on Thursday night, quote, played with no intensity or fire, end quote. So you can't ignore that Magic put that out there, but uh, there is some context to consider. As far as Josh Harris laughing during the game, I actually was not bothered by that. A, these were momentary camera shots that may not have truly been representative of his behavior during the game. B, even if they were, the guy's allowed to laugh. I mean, who knows who he was talking to? Maybe he was just being social with some guests in his owner's box. Maybe the guests were corporate sponsors of the team. Maybe he was having some fun with his kids. I mean, who knows? C, you can take something seriously while still momentarily laughing about something else. But here's the bottom line to me. The Josh Harris Group's purchase of the Commanders was not officially completed until July 21st. The purchase of the team was finalized right before training camp started. Josh owns the team, yes, 
But this is not his team. Not yet. Certainly not from a football operations standpoint. These are not his people. He did not hire these people. Josh Harris is using this season as a fact-finding mission. And then I think come January, maybe sooner, but certainly by January, we could see massive change in commanders' football operations. Hey, maybe that's why Josh was laughing on Thursday night, because he's already at peace with what he's going to do. Well, we hope that there's always peace in your life, but if you have been harmed by the negligence of someone else, if someone who you care about has been harmed by the negligence of someone else, know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices and false advertising, heck, victims of shady lawyers. If your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Nace has represented corporate clients throughout the region, and Paulson and Nace has won millions of dollars for clients. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, Call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Well, the Commanders on Tuesday morning announced a number of roster moves regarding the defense, uh, among them placing safeties Derek Forrest and Jeremy Reeves on the reserve injured list and signing safety Terrell Burgess and linebacker Dijon Scuda Harris from the practice squad to the active roster. Yes, Scuda is back. Uh, Head coach Rod Rivera in a press conference on Monday afternoon revealed that Forrest and Reeves were headed to the reserve injured list as each guy got hurt in the 40-20 loss to the Chicago Bears at FedEx Field this past Thursday night. Forrest suffered a shoulder injury, what has been reported as a shoulder fracture. Reeves suffered a knee injury, what reportedly is feared to have been a season-ending ACL injury. Uh, Not what the commander's defense needed with how it has been playing. The commanders for this regular season through week five are 26th out of 32 NFL teams in total defense for the DVOA metric and are 29th out of 32 NFL teams in lowest opponents yards per play, 5.89. Time now to speak with commanders analyst Mark Bullock 
who this commander season is joining me on the podcast on an every other week basis. Uh, Mark is not just a commander's analyst. He also is a commander's fan, and he does excellent commander's film breakdowns. You can read Mark's work on his substack, Bullock's Film Room, which you can find at markbullock.substack.com. He has more than 2,000 subscribers. He puts up multiple posts per week, and the posts are in-depth film breakdowns with video. So you can read the writing and watch the video. Uh, Make yourself a smarter Commanders fan, markbullock.substack.com. He has written for The Athletic and for The Washington Post. You can follow Mark on Twitter, on X, at NFL. Hey, Mark, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well. It's still weird to hear it called X. I'm not used to hearing it called X, but yes, I'm I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm good. You know, saying X definitely is going to take a while to get used to, in part because with Twitter, you had the verb tweet. So you would just say that someone tweeted something. With X, you have to say posted on X. A lot more wordy (laughs) than saying tweeted. It makes no sense to me. I'm still calling it Twitter. (laughs) I don't blame you at all. So I'd like to start with what you on your Substack posted on Tuesday morning, a piece on Edge defender Chase Young, headline, quote, let's talk (laughs) about the Chase Young freelancing narrative, end quote. There has been a lot of talk about the season that Chase is having. Look, nobody is happy with the commander's defense right now, but to me, Chase Young is having a good season. A variety of pass-rushing analytics speak to this. I know that uh, there have been questions raised about his uh, rush discipline. Uh, You studied the All-22. What'd you see? Yeah, I I wanted to kind of dispel a few myths um, on on Tuesday. I I spent the whole weekend seeing everyone blaming Chase Young for uh, a lack of rush discipline and saying that, yes, he's he's generating pressure numbers and, and stuff, but he's doing so in a way that's actually detrimental to the team because he's getting out of his gap and, and the defense is being exploited that way. And I don't really know where that's coming from. It, it's just, it's simply not true at this point. Um, it, it was true back in his second year, back in 2021, um, but he wasn't the only one guilty of that. The whole defensive line were kind of just certainly at the start of the year, they were just kind of like, we're four first-round picks. We're just going to go and beat everyone, and we don't need to rush with any kind of discipline or or continuity or anything like that. It, it was just go try to beat you guy, and, and they ended up running in the same gap quite a lot. But against the Bears, it just wasn't true. Like Chase Young got, I think it was 11 pressures throughout the game, which is an insane amount of pressures in a single game. Um, and... Yes, he, he, in general this year, he's rushing inside a little bit more than, or a lot more than, than what he used to. He, t- he typically was very attacking the outside shoulder of the tackle, trying to win with speed, um, or trying to use a stutter move and, and, and get outside. But very rarely did he would convert to a power rush or, or work inside. And he's doing that a lot more often this year, which is a good thing. It means he's varying his pass rush and, and he's, he's threading both sides of the tackle. So that, that's only a good thing to me. And, and some people see that as, oh, he's being greedy. He's rushing inside trying to get more sacks for his big contract. And it's, no, he's, he's rushing inside because there's space in there. He can get in there and he can, he can generate pressure. So um, the, it's a narrative to me that's just completely false. And I, I don't understand why, why fans are obsessed with it. Would you go as far as to say that the 2020 Chase Young is back or would you not go that far? I'd say there's potential for the 2020 Chase Young, for 2023 Chase Young to be better than 2020 Chase Young because 
his pass rush, as I say, it's more varied than it was back then. Back then, he was kind of getting by on being this fantastic athlete, which obviously he still is, and, and it, then he's taken him a while to get back to where he was with his knee, but he he was more one-dimensional back then. He, as I say, he, he relied on this stutter move, and outside of that, it was just trying speed, and, and, and if that didn't work, he, he, he'd get blocked. Um, whereas now, he's you can tell that the work that he's been doing with, with the likes of Von Miller and, and that, that pass rushing camp that Von Miller hosts every off season, you can tell that that's working because he's got more of a rush plan. He's got more of a diverse rush plan. And as I say, he's working inside more. He's converting speed to power a lot more often. You're seeing him drive tackles back into the quarterback a lot more frequently. Um, and then that in turn helps his rush moves that he was using because the tackle can't just overset to the edge protecting for the speed they have to be wary of him going inside and then that gives them the chance to get outside so uh, I think he's a more complete rusher so far this year and, and I think there's more to come from him and, and yes he only has what three sacks at this point and not that that's a bad number considering he didn't play the first game but um, he's you know it, it, the, the pressure rates are there he's one of the NFL's top pressure number guys so um the, the sacks will come and and even when he's not getting sacks he's having big impacts on games like the the Jamin Davis fumble against the the Broncos that turned the game that happened because Chase Young rushed inside and flushed Russell Wilson out um, in that same game Derek Forrest dropped what should have been an easy interception and that came because Young got pressure on on Russell Wilson and, and forced an errant throw so um, he's creating opportunities for others and, and sometimes they're taking them sometimes they're not As far as the commander's defense as a whole, it has been a massive disappointment. Hopefully what happened in the loss to the Bears was rock bottom, but, you know, maybe not. Uh, You on your substack in a piece that came out this past Friday, headline, quote, commander's defense in shambles versus Bears, and quote, broke down the defensive struggles in the loss to the Bears into two categories, run game concerns and man coverage issues. Regarding the man coverage issues. So defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio has been having the commanders go with more man coverage lately. And uh, a result has been something like corner Emmanuel Forbes Jr. getting torched. Jack with Washington has been known to play more zone coverage. I know that the idea the last two seasons now has been the zone match scheme, but why are we seeing more man coverage? And what has been the impact of that? Yeah, so that it's it's linked to the the first part of that post where I, I wrote about with the run game issues is that um, what I think maybe an average NFL fan doesn't quite understand is how coverage and defensive fronts are are linked. Um, when when you're struggling against the run, the typical response is you bring a safety down into the box and you load the box up with more defenders to try to stop the run, which naturally makes sense. But when you bring a safety down into the box, it means you only have one safety back deep. And when you have one safety back deep, you're typically running a handful of coverage concepts. And you can still play zone out of that. Obviously, there's there's things like cover three where you have one safety deep and you have the two corners sinking deep. Um, But Washington, for whatever reason, has been electing to play more man coverage, um, which is, uh, again, it's it's a thing where you typically associate it with a single high safety coverage rather than last year when they were successful, they were basically living out of two deep safeties and, and that was allowing them to play 
quarters and, and match coverages, which is kind of the trend of the league at the moment, and, and that's where they had success. So for for this game, I, I think the, the threat of the run game and the threat of Justin Fields being involved in the run game with the read option and stuff, that if you if you have a light box against that, you're already at a disadvantage with the light box. If, if you have just your front four and your two linebackers, so six against uh, the offensive line and the tight end, you're already one short of a gap. Um, and then when you add Justin Fields in to potentially on a read option play, you're you're almost too short effectively. So you need to load up the box to try to stop that. And by loading up the box to stopping that, that leaves you with just one safety deep, which in turn the commanders then decided that they were going to play man coverage. And they just haven't been good at man coverage is basically the, the long short of it. They, they just struggled with man coverage. And um, in fairness, it wasn't every receiver that they struggled man coverage one, but it, it was one in particular. And that one in particular got the very much the bulk of the yards um, and did most of the damage. So um, yeah, that that's, it's kind of an interlinked problem where they feel like they have to load the box to stop the run. And by doing that, they feel like they have to play man coverage um, on the back end of that. And, and they've just not been good at man coverage. The defensive approach that you just described, do you expect the commanders to continue to employ this approach? Or do you think that we're going to see the team go back to what it was doing last season when the defense was really good? I, I I can see it continuing this week against the Falcons because the Falcons are very much a, a run-first team um, and it was kind of an issue they had last year when they played the Falcons last year. Um, and we saw they struggled in the first half to defend the run and they resorted to using that um, 5D line package and they, they put Cam Curl as a dime linebacker in the box and then they brought Derek Forrest down in the box and they left he was Percy Butler deep as the only deep safety um, and they played a little bit more man coverage on the outside and, and they, they loaded up the box to try to defend the run so I could see that being the strategy they go to this week against the Falcons but I think going forward um, they will probably it, it will be opponent dependent depending on like if a team's going to be more run heavy like the Falcons are one of the most run heavy teams in the league or whether they're they're going to be facing teams that like to pass a little bit more, in which case I think they will certainly be hoping to get back to their, their kind of two deep coverages and, and play more quarters and, and trusting their, their defensive front to, to stop the run. Much more with Mark Bullock in moments. Up next, what Jack Del Rio should do to fix the defense. And if you want to fix your shaving situation or at least improve your shaving situation, Get with Manscaped and take advantage of a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. My friends at Manscaped, something new for you, the Handyman. The Handyman is the best electric shaver ever. Featuring a compact design and next-gen skin-safe technology, the Handyman is designed to give you that smooth finish without the mess of a traditional shave. And here's a special treat with no trick. For this Halloween season, go to manscaped.com and use the promo code GALDI, my last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI, for 20% off plus free shipping. Uh, We've all dealt with bad razors that uh, make your neck look like a horror movie. What's great about The Handyman is that its skin-safe technology helps to reduce nicks and cuts, so you can finally feel confident 
when going for that close shave. And if you are a beard guy, uh, Manscaped has the Beard Hedger, which is a high-tech beard grooming piece of excellence that offers 20 different beard lengths in just one guard and has a long-lasting battery, universal charging, and a strong motor. Whatever your shaving needs, Manscaped has you covered. Don't settle for mediocrity with your shaving. Get with Manscaped and take advantage of this special offer. Go to manscaped.com and use the promo code GALDI for 20% off plus free shipping. That's manscaped.com, promo code GALDI for 20% off plus free shipping. More now with Commander's Analyst Mark Bullock. You can read his great work on his Substack, Bullock's Film Room, which you can find at markbullock.substack.com. All right, let us move to how to make the Commander's defense what it was supposed to be. If Jack Del Rio invited Mark Bullock to the pub for a few pints and asked for your help, Mark, help me, how can I get this defense to be what it's supposed to be? What would your advice be? What are the fixes for the defense? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of tough because you, you, I understand the idea of when you have a single deep safety instead of two, you can't necessarily play the coverages that they typically want to play and have been successful at. Um, you can get to it via a few different things where you kind of drop a safety back deep late, but then he's not really in the box and it, it, it can mess up with your your run front um yeah your run fits and, and stuff like that so um i i think the the option is you either commit to stopping the pass because those are the explosive plays that are really killing you in which case you go back to playing two deep safeties and you just say we're gonna have to live with the offense running the ball somewhat successfully if if we want to stop giving up these explosive pass plays um and that will mean teams will have to run the ball and, and maybe carry four yards or five yards of carry, but they're going to have to commit to that and, and drive these long, you know, 10, 12, 15 play drives, kind of like what we saw from the commanders last year when, when they were successful. Um, and that can very easily get caught off track. If, if someone, if there's a, you know, a false start penalty or a holding penalty, then suddenly they're behind the chains and it's much harder to continue with that game plan. So I think that's probably the way they'll go. Um, the other option is they can they can try to play more zone coverages from uh, the single deep safety looks, and then that's something that I thought they might have tried to do. Uh, well, actually, honestly, against the against the Bears, I thought they might have just tried to double DJ more. <laughs> um, they, they, I mean that that would have been an easy option, which is you know have bring Cam Curl in the box and have him fit the run, but also have him be able to um, his coverage assignment basically sit shallow underneath wherever DJ Moore is and then you have the corner over the top and you're kind of bracketing him that way um, and, and that's kind of the thing I would have looked to do other than that it, it would just be play a little bit more zone and, and play like cover three or try to play your um, the the inverted tempo twos and stuff like that that they can do from, from those heavy box looks um, but I, I think ultimately they will try to you know, stop the explosive plays and get those two safeties back deep and and playing the coverages that were successful to stop those explosive plays. This dilemma for the commander's defense that you've been describing, why wasn't this a problem last season? To a degree, it was. (laughs) It it, it just, as I say, when they, if you go and stop the explosive plays um, in the passing game, they did surrender 
four or five yards a carry at times last year. Um, but if you're taking away the the passing play, the explosive passing plays, and making teams execute long drives without giving up a penalty that gives them, gets them behind the chains, or um, sometimes they might get greedy and think, okay, it's it's second and five, we can take a shot here, and then it, they in, uh, have an incomplete pass and it's third and five, and maybe you get a sack or something, you get off the field. Um, it, it's very hard to consistently sustain drives in the modern NFL playing that consistent run offense um so in a way it was it was kind of just they dared teams to beat them that way and, and teams didn't um so it, 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 they did have issues with the run last year at times um they also have four very good defensive linemen that um you know it, even though you can be outgapped if a defensive lineman like Jonathan Allen just decides to use some quick swim move to beat a guard and, and get into the backfield it doesn't matter how many gaps you're you're outgapped by, he can make that tackle. So, um, yeah, I, I think they kind of hit that issue last year, and it's kind of just a choice you have to make in the modern NFL, really. I mean, to me, in today's NFL, stopping the pass matters so much more than stopping the run. Passing is so much more effective and efficient than running is. Obviously, you want your defense to be good against both the pass and the run, but if you have to prioritize one, you prioritize stopping the pass. I don't know why the commanders wouldn't look at the situation this way. Yeah, and, and that was the approach that they've taken by playing the, the two deep safety coverages that they have. And, and that that was why it was it's kind of been weird to start this year to see them kind of go away from that because it was what was successful for them last year was they stuck with those two deep safety coverages they and they they were okay with being in a light box and and yes it, it meant that they sometimes struggled against the run but they as i say they they backed themselves to be able to bend but not break and 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 keep teams to a field goal when that happens um and and generally they were quite good at that but this year they've obviously felt like they're even more vulnerable to the run for some reason um, and, and tried to load up the box and, and it's just not worked for them. I want to get your takes on a few situations with specific commanders players. Emmanuel Forbes, off him being benched in the loss to the Bears, should he continue to play as much as he had been or should his playing time be reduced? Uh, I, I think the it's kind of got to the opposite situation of what William Jackson was. They, they, they drafted Forbes with the thought that they were going to be this zone coverage, match coverage team, and it was going to be too deep and a lot of quarters. And Forbes suits that to the ground. That's exactly the type of game he wants to play where he's, he's playing off, he's playing with vision, and he's breaking on things underneath. Um, and since they drafted him, they've, as we've talked about, they've decided to play a lot more man coverage. And, he can play man coverage. He, he's gotten beat a few times just trying to go for the ball rather than accepting that he's not going to quite get there. And, and that's kind of his, just his natural instinct. But um, it, if, you're, if you're taking a guy that you drafted to play zone coverage and then you're suddenly asking him to play a lot of man coverage, it's very much the opposite side of what they did with William Jackson where he was signed as this guy that's a very good press man corner and then they tried to convert him to his own corner. It didn't work. Um, and, and you'd think they've learned that lesson, but apparently they haven't. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's just getting back to the zone coverages for Forbes. I, I'd be hesitant. Part of me says, you know, you, you this off, this coaching staff needs to win games to keep their jobs. I don't think they can keep their jobs at this point, but um, 
they certainly need to win games if they don't have any chance of doing so. And if they the best route to winning games is probably not having Forbes on the field if they're going to play man coverage. Um, I personally would take the similar approach that you're having with Sam Howell. With you know, he's a young guy, he's learning, um, and the best thing for him is to have the experience. Um, and the mistakes that he's made are correctable. You know, he's he's missed tackles and and he's gone for the ball when it's not quite been there. Um, and those are things that he will learn with more reps and experience. So um, he'll 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 soon come to learn just which ball that he can actually undercut and, and get a, make a play on and, and which balls that he can't quite get to and he needs to be a little bit more conservative on. Um, so if they're willing to play more zone coverage and, and the successful stuff they've done in the past, I, I'd be playing him more often and, and, and letting him kind of work through his issues. Derek Forrest now being on the reserve injured list. I did not think that he was playing particularly well. How do you think that he was playing? And what should the commander's replacement plan for Forrest be? Yeah, Forrest is, uh, sorry, Forrest is an interesting one because I, I think he's he's a guy that suits more of the, the style that they've been trying to play this year, where if you have a single deep safety and you're playing man coverage, you want that safety to have lots of range. And, and Forrest has a ton of range. So if he's sat in the middle of the field he has the range to be able to get from the middle of the field to the sideline to stay on top of rounds. Um, and that's where he's at his best is, is he's using his athleticism and his range to, to cover deep areas of the field. Um, when it comes to their kind of their quarters and uh, zone match stuff, um, and they have two deep safeties. I think he, he struggles a little bit with that. with knowing exactly when he's you know meant to be doubling the outside receiver, when he's meant to be looking across to the, the third receiver from the other side of the field, um, which routes exactly he's meant to be passing off and picking up. I think that kind of stuff doesn't necessarily come naturally to him. Um, and so he has struggled in that aspect. And to me, Percy Butler, um, their their draft pick from a year ago, was is someone that is the opposite of Forrest. He's someone that excels in those zone match coverages, those two deep safety looks. Um, granted, he he had that issue against the Bears on, on the touchdown where he should have been wider on, on that Tampa 2 coverage, but mistakes can happen. Um, in gen- Generally speaking, he is better at those two deep safety coverages um, and doesn't quite have the same range as Forrest if, if you're playing a single high coverage. So um, I, I think Butler will probably slot in there pretty comfortably. Um, and certainly if they go back to their two deep coverages, um, and they play their zone and match stuff, then I think they'll be perfectly fine with, with Butler in the lineup. And then at linebacker, Jamin Davis is playing a good bit and is playing well, but Cody Barton has played on every single one of the commander's defensive snaps this regular season. He does not come off the field, and he isn't playing well. Uh, what comes up is the green dot, that Cody is the green dot guy, and so that's why he's playing more than Jamin is playing. But is this really how this has to be, that the linebacker who isn't playing well is playing more than the linebacker who is playing well? Yeah, the, the only reason I can really give for it is the, the green dot thing. And, and, and Barton is the, the Mike linebacker that gets to call the plays and make the adjustments at the line of scrimmage. And that responsibility, whenever it's been given to anyone else, has slowed them down a little bit. And I think the way that Jamin Davis is playing so well at the moment is is because he's he's playing instinctive and he's playing fast and and he's not in his first few years in the league he was kind of 
pausing at the snap of the ball and trying to diagnose what was going on, and that would leave him two or three steps behind where the play was going. Whereas now the ball snaps and, and almost before like a guard will pull, he's like, okay, I know exactly what's happening. And he's filling his, his lane before even the defensive linemen are getting there. And, and he's playing incredibly well. And so the only theory I can come up with is they're worried that if they give Jamie Davis the green dot and, and make him half responsible for not just calling the plays, but if there's a motion making an adjustment, if, if you notice like checking the defensive linemen are all in the right gaps and, and, making sure that if if you know the the defensive tackle needs to move outside a gap he he's making that adjustment um if he's having to do all of that at the line of scrimmage does that then slow him down when the the ball is snapped in the past it has um so perhaps they're they're worried that his impact that he's currently making will will drop off significantly if they give him that green dot um which i guess you would only really know if you gave it to him. Um, so, yeah, Barton certainly has struggled. Um, I think his struggles are more in the run game because he is sitting there thinking quite a bit. Um, and he very much what Jamin Davis was in his rookie year where, as I say, they, they he's having to process so much information. He's not playing just instinctually and and he's, he's, he's kind of muddied down by all that responsibility. Um, so... And we've seen that with guys that have taken the green dot in this system, like Cole Holcomb, when he first took it last year or the year before, he, he took a few weeks to get up to speed. Um, and, and they tried Cam Curl with, with the green dot at times last year, and to an extent it worked, but it also limits what you can do with Cam Curl. Um, and, and Cam Curl's biggest strength is his versatility, the fact that you can play him deep, you can play him over the slot, you can play him in the box, is what he's what makes him so good. And if you give him the green dot, I'm not saying that he couldn't do the job, but it, it's very hard for him if he's lined up over the slot for him to see the tight end making the slightest adjustment on the other side of the field, and for him to communicate to the the defensive end over that tight end, "Hey, you need to be a gap wider, uh, and and we need to make this adjustment." Like it, it's it's not the best angle for him to see things. It is harder for him to communicate that. So. Um, you'd probably limit what Cam Curl could do. So there's no real obvious option other than, you know, maybe David Mayo has shown that he can call the plays, but he's been a liability in coverage. So you're losing somewhere, whatever you do. Um, so it's a hard, hard solution. Um, maybe they just go, we've been so bad against the run, we'll stick David Mayo in there. Um, and then in the past... Can you give Jamie Davis the, the green dot in passing situations? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Jamin Davis, number 19 overall pick in the 2021 NFL draft, third NFL season. You'd like to think <laughs> that you could put the green dot on the guy, but apparently not. More with Mark Bullock in moments. We're going to next talk about quarterback Sam Howell. It is debatable whether going with Cody Barton over Jamin Davis with the green dot uh, is the right way to go. It is clear, however, that going with catering by Uptown is the right way to go. If you have a big event that you're planning and you want the event to go well, go with catering by Uptown. Catering by Uptown is the DMV's number one catering service. Catering by Uptown is a family business that prides itself on its signature dishes and flawless presentations. And catering by Uptown goes beyond just food. 
Catering by Uptown offers personalized consultation and event planning assistance that are outstanding, including venue coordination, custom catering menu selection from over a thousand delicious dish selections, and a day of event coordinator who will make sure that everything runs smoothly. From putting together and executing a menu, to picking linens, to selecting an excellent florist, Catering by Uptown is committed to meeting your needs and exceeding your expectations. Whether you're having a wedding or a corporate event, an intimate gathering or a gala, Catering by Uptown is the way to go. Visit cateringbyuptown.com and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, also know this, Catering by Uptown has job openings for the event waitstaff. Uh, no experience is necessary and you get paid in-house training. This is a great opportunity if you're looking for work. Visit cateringbyuptown.com. That's cateringbyuptown.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. More now with Commander's Analyst Mark Bullock. You can read his great work on his Substack, Bullock's Film Room, which you can find at markbullock.substack.com. Uh, Mark is spending extra time with us this week. We're covering a lot of ground. Uh, quarterback Sam Howell, I thought that he played well in the second half of the loss to the Bears. Uh, you and your Substack in a piece that came out on Monday evaluated how Sam did last Thursday night. Headline, quote, evaluating Sam Howell's performance against the Bears, end quote. What stood out to you in studying what he did? Yeah, I think there were signs of progress from him. Um, Obviously, the offense didn't have the best start. They only got a field goal in the first half. Um, But when you have a young quarterback that is working through things, you can have a few um, ups and downs throughout games, as we've seen in basically every game. They've had pretty much two quarters that are bad and two quarters that are good. And and that's kind of just the way things go with young quarterbacks. Um, And, you know, that first half, they had the three and out where I think Logan Thomas got a bit unlucky with the spot on that first drive um, and, and probably should have been given a first down but wasn't and then they, they got stuffed on that third and one run um, then the second drive they had the penalty that got them backed up and they couldn't stop, uh, they couldn't overcome that so that was two three and outs and then they had the long field goal drive and, and they, they started to look pretty decent on offense from that, that point on um, and I thought the, the two things that stood out to me was one, the, the Bears sent a lot of blitzes at Howell, and obviously he got sacked another five times, and then that'll be a headline. But um, I thought in general he handled the blitzes quite well. When when he saw them coming, he he either adjusted the protection and, and beat the blitz, or he recognized where the free receiver was going to be. Um, and, and we saw that a number of times. There was a linebacker blitz where he recognized that blitz was coming free up the middle, and he knew he was going to have... Brian Robinson open in the flat and he quickly made that throw and they picked up seven or eight yards on that play. There was another blitz where it was a slot blitz off the edge um, and it was the one where Curtis Samuel kind of saw the slot blitz and, and kind of stopped ready to be option an option for a quick throw but Hal recognized that there was a linebacker in the A-gap dropping off into that throwing window. So he waited for Samuel to continue his route beyond the linebacker and threw a nice ball over the top of him and again picked up a first down. Um, and there was a couple of those plays throughout the game where there, there was three or four where they saw the blitz, uh, the even the touchdown to Curtis Samuel was a slot corner blitz and he saw it and threw over it and they got the touchdown. So I think that's a very encouraging sign that they are seeing blitzes a little bit more um, and they're not just seeing them there throwing over them and exploiting them. So 
Um, there's obviously still a ways to go. They, he did get caught out by a few of the blitzes where he didn't identify them pre-snap. And there was there was the one, I think his second sack of the game was another slot corner blitz that he didn't see. And in fact, he had slid the line to the right and the slot corner blitz came from the left. And so that defender came completely blind to him and, and sacked him. Um, so there's still obviously work to do there. But I think in general, that was a promising step forward. Um, and, and we saw signs of his progression in general, where, where he was speeding up his process. It's still not perfect, obviously, but he is generally reading plays out uh, quicker than he was. Um, and we saw some of his, just his raw arm talent. There were some really nice throws in this game, like the, the throw down the sideline to Antonio Gibson was obviously a really nice fade ball. And, and we've seen him be able to do that before, but he also had that really nice pass where, uh, Terry McLaurin ran on a crossing route and he kind of le- looped it over a linebacker and showed that he had a little bit of touch that he could he could take something off the throw and, and drop it over the bucket and it was perfectly in stride from McLaurin to catch and run down the sideline. So um, I, I thought Hal had a, had a pretty good game um, and it, it definitely wasn't just a case of, you know, the Bears played pre-event in the second half and it was taking easy stuff. There, there was... There was some good. There was a lot of blitzes from the Bears, and there was some good stuff from Allen in there. The sacks are a big time problem, and he was really bad in the thirty-seven three loss to the Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field in Week Three. But man, five games into the Commanders' regular season, I do think that there has been a lot more to like than not like with Sam Howell. I, I agree. I, I think there's been a lot of promise. I think there's been a lot of progression from him, and and part of that has been. They've been passing a hell of a lot. So yeah. he's been, that, 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 that development has been exploited a bit, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing in the long run. Um, obviously, the sacks are an issue. The amount he's getting hit are, are an issue, but they're, they're an issue that is more on him than anything else. Um, and we've seen when he is efficient, certainly in this game and, and against the Eagles, when he is efficient and getting the ball out on time, the, the protection doesn't look Terrific. Like, obviously, you'd like five all pros up front and Sam Howell to be able to sit in the pocket for five minutes to find an open receiver, but that's just not going to happen. Um, and when he's efficient with the ball and getting the ball out um, on time, generally he has the time to do that. So um, I, I think there is certainly a lot of promise from Howell. I, I, I think there's there's reason to be excited about him. Um Obviously, there's still a ways to go, and, and that sack issue will be the big one for him to overcome. Um, and I think we're seeing signs, as I say, with, with the blitz stuff where he's seeing blitzes and throwing over them. That's a sign of progression that he will be able to develop against this sack problem and, and cut down on the sack numbers. And if he can do that, then that raw arm talent that, that I talked about can take over. And, and it, it's, he's certainly got the talent. No doubt. The great Mark Bullock, Commander's Analyst. He does an exceptional job of analyzing the team from an X's and O's perspective. You can read his work on his Substack, Bullock's Film Room, which you can find at markbullock.substack.com. Mark, thank you, and we'll talk soon. Yep, see you soon. All right. You know, off us just talking, Sam Howell, I thought that this was interesting from Ron Rivera's press conference on Monday afternoon. Ron, on where he believes that Sam is at. Take a listen. I think he's a little bit ahead of where we anticipate only because he's having to throw a lot of balls. That's unfortunate uh, to a degree, but you do like what he's done. 
and, and that's one of the things that you really appreciate. I mean, you see his, you see who he is, you see his grit, you see his toughness, you see his decision making. Those are all good, um, and those are things that hopefully you know we get this thing going in the right direction. Uh, that that'll benefit as we as we as we continue the season. I mean, it's a long long year. We got 12 more games left to play. And um, we're going to approach them one game at a time and focus in on playing the best we can each game. So Ron Rivera on Monday afternoon on Sam Howell, quote, I think he's a little bit ahead of where we anticipated, end quote. You look at the rankings, Sam for this regular season through week five is 18th among 32 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR 48.3 and has the following rankings among 33 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL for pro football reference. 15th in yards per pass attempt, 7.06. 12th in completion percentage, 68.6. 6th in passing yards, 1,349. Tied for first in fourth quarter comebacks, 2. Tied for second in game-winning drives, 2. The sacks are the killer. Uh, He has the second worst sack percentage in the NFL, 13.2. But even with that, Sam Howell overall has been a solid NFL starting quarterback. And even better than solid is Nova Fireplace and Stove. Nova Fireplace and Stove is outstanding. Uh, It handles gas fireplace sales service and installation, handles gas, electric, and wood stoves, and handles chimney cleaning and repair. If you live in Northern Virginia, stay warm and upgrade the feel and value of your home with Nova Fireplace and Stove. Call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571-513-3803. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and receive $25 off any service or receive a free vent kit on any in-stock gas insert. Nova Fireplace and Stove, it has been around for more than 20 years. It is run by massive Commanders fans, and it has outstanding professionals. Whatever the work that you need done requires, Nova Fireplace and Stove has. Master gas fitter, master electrician, class A contractor, licensed chimney inspector. And because of this, Nova Fireplace and Stove can complete your project without the need for any subcontractors. And Nova Fireplace and Stove can pull all of the necessary county permits for the work that is being done. Additionally, Nova Fireplace and Stove can perform fireplace and chimney safety inspections. See for yourself the work that Nova Fireplace and Stove can do. It has a showroom in Woodbridge, Virginia, and has a terrific website, Nova fireplaceandstove.com and take advantage of the special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571-513-3803. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and receive $25 off any service or receive a free vent kit on any in-stock gas insert. Join the Nova Fireplace and Stove family and experience the fireplace service and care that you deserve. Call 571-513-3803. That's 571-513-3803. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, there right now is zero debate regarding who the best quarterback from the 2022 NFL draft is. Uh, The man who was the last pick of the draft, the San Francisco 49ers, Brock Purdy. I last segment mentioned that the commander, Sam Howell, for this regular season through week five is 18th 
among 32 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL and ESPN's total QBR, 48.3. Brock Purdy is number one, 83.6. Number 24 is the Atlanta Falcons' Desmond Ritter, 42.8. The Commanders took Sam in the fifth round of the 2022 draft. The Falcons took Ritter in the third round of the 2022 draft. Uh, He is the Falcons' QB1. Things had not been going well But then came this past Sunday afternoon, a 21-19 home win over the Houston Texans. Ritter had the best game of his NFL career so far. He went 28-37 for 329 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions. And he took no sacks. And he had a seven-yard touchdown run. Uh, Who the number two quarterback from the 2022 draft is, is an interesting discussion. Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Kenny Pickett, but we this Sunday afternoon do have Howell versus Ritter. Uh, the two and three commanders at the three and two Falcons this Sunday afternoon at one. Third consecutive regular season in which Washington is playing the Falcons. Washington won those last two games. What will happen this Sunday afternoon, I am happy to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, Evan Birchfield of the Falcoholic, uh, which is the SB Nation site for the Falcons, uh, similar to what Hogshaven is for the Commanders. You can follow Evan on X on Twitter, at Evan Birchfield. Uh, hey, Evan, how are you? Yeah, of course. It's good to be back. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing well. So Washington starting quarterback in each of the two wins over the Falcons the last two regular seasons was Taylor Heineke, uh, who, of course, now is the Falcons QB2. We in the Washington, D.C. area thought that Taylor might be the Falcons QB1 uh, for this Sunday afternoon with the way that things had been going for Desmond Ritter. But boy, he played well in that win over the Texans. Uh, What stood out to you? Um, yeah, I mean, if what's crazy is if you would have asked last week, it seemed, you know, the average Falcons fan would say the world was just falling apart. Um, you know, many calling, as you mentioned, for Ritter to be benched for Taylor Heineke, um, who obviously has a lot more experience than Ritter. Um, for him, I think it just, he looked more calm and he was using his, uh, weapons, you know, a lot, a lot of people, you know, like for fantasy purposes, obviously, like to point out, you know, Kyle Pitts not getting a lot of use, but he had a pretty good game. He had seven catches for 87 yards. That's definitely probably the best we've seen from Pitts in quite some time, definitely this year. Um, and then overall, Ritter, you know, having a career high 329 yards, like he just looked more calm in the pocket. Um, it, it was literally like a night and day difference between week four and week five. Um, it, it definitely is something to, you know, look. If he can build towards it, uh, don't know really what ha- what kind of Ritter we're going to get uh, this upcoming weekend. But um, for Falcons fans' sake, uh, I know they're hoping it's uh, the Texans' Ritter and you know not the Jaguars' Ritter. <laughs> what have been the biggest problems for Desmond Ritter as an NFL quarterback? I would say so. It's not necessarily his fault, but the Falcons' offensive line um, has been totally up and down. We just re-signed McGarry in the offseason. He had a uh, really good 2022 season, um, definitely earned a contract, but he's had a rough 2023 season. Chris Lindstrom, who, you know, he, he I think he was like a, one of the top all-pro voters uh, for right guard last year. Definitely PFF had him, I think, as the best overall right guard. Um, he's had, you know, a rough season this year. Um, got a new left guard, Matthew uh, Bergeron. Uh, he's a rookie. Drew Dahlman's a, our center. He's you know fairly new. It used to be Matt Hennessy, who's now on IR. Um, and then obviously we still have Jake Matthews. But the offensive line, they're really good at run um, run protection. 
pass protection, they're terrible, um, or at least have been this year, except for last weekend. But last weekend, I'm not quite sure is going to be the norm. So I'm kind of referring to like all the other games combined and they have struggled, um, which has made Ritter, you know, having to scramble around a little bit. My biggest um, complaint about Ritter so far is he's, he's sneaky athletic, a lot more athletic than people give him credit for. And he doesn't really run a whole lot. And when he does, you know, he had a rushing touchdown last week. Um, I, used, I, I wish he would, you know, get out of the pocket more, especially since he's pretty much having to with no option, but he tries to force the ball instead of running for four yards or something. Is Desmond Ritter being a franchise quarterback realistic, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, this this is one of those questions where it's, it's kind of a week-to-week thing. Um, I, I think he's got the potential. He's I've interviewed him before. Like He's really smart and says all the right stuff and has all that kind of franchise stuff you want off the field. Um, on the field... It's. I think it's too early to tell. Um, he. It's not like he was like a first pick or anything. So the Falcons aren't necessarily tied to him. I think they. I believe they got him in the third round. Um, and, and he. He. You know. He's got the talent. I think he shows it in flashes. Um, but will it be long term? Can he do? You know, for the whole season. I think a lot of people forget. Yeah, like last year, uh, 2022 was his rookie season. But he only played for four games. Marcus Mariota played pretty much the whole season, and Ritter got the very end of it. So, I mean, I tend to consider this his rookie season, and he's definitely shown, you know, some some uh, lack of uh, uh, talent at times. But at times, he makes up for it, um, where he's uh, he's got a little clutch in him. I think um, one one of my favorite stats about him right now, though, is he's five and zero in home games played in Atlanta. So um, he's obviously more comfortable at home. He needs to do better on the road. Both of our losses this season have come on the road. Um, but to answer your question, I I think it's possible. But if I was betting, I, I would say no. But, you know, it's too early to tell, I think. As you know, a lot of discussion going into the 2023 NFL Draft about Texas running back Bijan Robinson, uh, viewed as the best NFL running back prospect in years. But in the current NFL, should a team spend a first-round pick on any running back? Uh, well, the Falcons took Robinson with the number eight overall pick in the 2023 draft. He, for this regular season through Week Five, is tied for eighth in the NFL in rushing yards, 364. He has a yards per carry of five. Point four three. Safe to say that uh, Bijan Robinson is doing well. He's actually doing really well. Um, he's already had two games where he's gone over 100 yards. Um, I'm sure anyone who uses uh, X or any sort of social media has seen some of his highlights. Um, they haven't, you know, forced him out there. He's not had more than 20 carries in a game so far. Um, I believe he, in week two he had 19 carries. Um but they're, you know, between him and Tyler Algier, they're kind of balancing him out there. They've used him in the passing game pretty well. Um, he's made Ritter look pretty good with some of his uh, throws that haven't necessarily been on the target. And Bijan will kind of catch him one-handed, which is kind of cool. But he, uh, he's definitely like, if you were to ask the average Falcons fan, definitely my opinion too. Um, he, he was worth it. He, he's shown that he's going to be something special. Um, and I'm pretty excited, honestly. (laughs) 
what the Falcons have right now in terms of skill position players, Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier at running back, Drake London at receiver, Kyle Pitts and Jonu Smith at tight end. Is this the best collection of skill position players that the Falcons have had since their 2016 NFC Championship winning season? Yeah, definitely. When you when you compare them to, I, I mean, they're they're a lot more. Uh, you know, Julio Jones in that Super Bowl, he had a lot more experience. Devontae Freeman at the time, I know a lot of people talk about the blocks he missed and stuff, but he was doing really well. He had he had a lot more experience. Um, Drake London, you know, he he's super raw right now. He but he he has shown that he's going to be something for this team, and he's definitely the best receiving threat they have. Um, Kyle Pitts is coming along. Um, there's times where he's just kind of forgotten in this offense and I can't quite put my finger on why. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ritter is literally surrounded by the best talent he's probably going to have in his NFL career. Um, at least out of the gate, I don't know what's going to happen years from now, but out of the gate, I mean, I can't imagine if somebody like Kirk Cousins was on this offense, I think, uh, that would be very interesting. Somebody who can actually like use all his weapons where Ritter I think he's still learning to trust these guys where he'll take a shot at London um like last week London had a pretty good game but there's games where he'll take a shot at London London will make a great catch and then he just shies away from him the rest of the game not quite sure why but and then obviously we know about Pitts just kind of getting lost in there um Johnu Smith is a guy who's stepped up um I'm not sure why Ritter targets him a lot but he, he had a really good game too um and then obviously we have like Matt Collins and stuff, but overall, I mean, I'm excited. Everybody's super young, so I mean, there's a lot to build towards, and if Ritter's the guy, I mean, this is a great group to be surrounded by. Much more with Evan Birchfield of the Falcoholic on the Falcons in moments. The commanders with this game at the Falcons this Sunday afternoon are beginning a stretch of four of five games on the road. Uh, the commanders' next home game is against the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field Sunday afternoon, October 29th at 1. If you are looking for tickets to a commander's game, download the Game Time app and use the promo code ALGALDI. When it comes to buying tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater, the way to go is with the GameTime app. GameTime offers great deals on last-minute tickets and has a best price guarantee. So you no longer have to worry if you're truly going about getting tickets in the best possible way. The GameTime guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. And if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. What's also great about GameTime is how easy it makes searching for tickets. You can search by team, venue, or artist. Uh, I was just on GameTime looking at tickets for Commander's Games in the 2023 regular season. A lot of good deals, and the seating chart next to the listed tickets made figuring out what exactly I'd be getting super easy. GameTime is the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country. GameTime is the app for last-minute ticket deals. You don't have to plan months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. GameTime also offers flash deals on tickets, and tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Get the tickets without the stress with GameTime, which is offering a special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use this promo code, Al Galdi. You use that promo code, Al Galdi, you get $20 off your first purchase. Uh, terms do apply, but download the GameTime app, create that account, and use the promo code, Al Galdi, for $20 off. 
your first purchase. What time is it? It's game time. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. More now with Evan Birchfield of the Falcoholic on the Falcons as we have the Commanders at the Falcons this Sunday afternoon at 1. The Falcons defense. What's your overall feeling about the defense? Um, they, I mean, honestly, they've kept us alive in some games. And if you were to ask people watching Falcons games, they've uh, been definitely better than the offense. Um, maybe not last week, but all the other games, they kept Atlanta in the game. Um when, when we uh, lost to Detroit, it wasn't necessarily the Falcons' defense that caused it. It was the offense only putting up six points, but they, you know, Detroit's looked pretty good in a bunch of other games, and Falcons' defense was definitely playing their part, keeping uh, keeping the team alive. Same thing goes against Jacksonville. Um, those London games are always really weird, but the Falcons' defense was still keeping them in the game. Um, it, it's, I would say, definitely the best defense I've seen since the Super Bowl season. Uh, and there's a lot of new guys like Calais Campbell, who um, I'm sure a lot of the listeners are familiar with. He's he's known around the league as one of these great defensive linemen, and he's pretty much doing a mentorship in Atlanta. Um, I'm excited he's there. But then we have guys like Nate Lamon. He's a really unknown linebacker, but he flies around the field. Um, AJ Terrell, obviously, he's he has his, he's been having his ups ups and downs this season, but um, he, he's our best corner. Uh, Jesse Bates, he has been a ball hawk for us. Just I believe he's got three or four interceptions already this season, which is about how much the Falcons' top uh, person who had interceptions last year had, um, and we're only five games in. So yeah, I'm I'm overall excited about this defense. Who or what is particularly concerning? about the Falcons defense? Uh, I, I mean, the pass rush has been something I've been a fan for since 1996. And there's been maybe two seasons where I've been happy about the pass rush. And that continues to be the case this year. Um, pass rush is always something I'm nervous about. Um, but at the same time, I do appreciate what they're doing up the middle with Grady Jarrett, Calais Campbell, and a bunch of the other guys. Um, they're getting pressure, but they're just not getting home and getting a lot of sacks. The Falcons head coach, Arthur Smith, uh, a lot of ties between him and Washington. Uh, he is the son of former Washington minority owner Fred Smith, whose company FedEx in July 2020 put out the statement that effectively ended the team being the Redskins. Uh, Arthur Smith was a defensive quality control coach for the Skins for the 2007 and 2008 seasons. Uh, Arthur Smith went to my high school, uh, Georgetown Prep High School in Rockville, Maryland. This is season number three for Arthur Smith as Falcons head coach. He, for each of the last two regular seasons, went seven and ten. To what extent is there pressure on him to win this season? Um, well, that, yeah, that's a really good question because this is kind of that season where I think the Falcons have an opportunity to take the next step where the, the conference, I mean, not the conference, the division is not the greatest. Um, you know, obviously, you know, what's going on with uh, Tampa, um, they're kind of up and down. Carolina's not won a game yet. They're definitely in like the rebuild mode still. The Saints are kind of you know, I don't know what to expect from the Saints every week because one week they're losing, the next they're blowing out a team like the Patriots by a large margin. Um, I definitely would like to see the Falcons make the playoffs, not just as a fan of the team, but um, I think Arthur Smith needs to show that he can get them to that next level, um, which he hasn't been able to do yet. Um, 
but I, I think the team, the ownership, and um, they, they believe in him. They know he's on the right path. Yeah, we're going to have these games, you know, like against the Jaguars where we just look awful everywhere. Um, his offensive play calling at times hasn't been great, but then like last week where it seemed like it, it was a flawless game plan. Um, so he's going to definitely have to grow as a coach. But I, I, right now, I don't think hot seat is anywhere near him. Um, now, if they end up going by the bye and they're, you know, losing uh, to where they're not making the playoffs or something mm-hmm. like that, then then I'd be talking about it because our schedule is not necessarily that difficult the rest of the year. I think it's very favorable for the Falcons if they play like they did against the Texans, but that's to be determined. Final question. This is kind of random, but what we had on Sunday Night Football, the San Francisco 49ers blowing out the Dallas Cowboys 42-10. I earlier mentioned the Falcons' 2016 NFC Championship winning season. Their head coach that season was current Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn. The Falcons' offensive coordinator that season was current Niners head coach and former Skins offensive coordinator Kyle Shanahan from... (laughs) A Falcons perspective, what'd you make of Kyle outdoing Dan like that on Sunday night? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a total shock to me. Um, if you ask Falcons fans, they're probably still a little salty about that whole Kyle Shanahan stuff and the Super Bowl and stuff like that. But I mean, Kyle Shanahan, you can't deny it. He's a real offensive talent. Um, I wish he would have took over, honestly, um, to been the head coach in Atlanta, but he was able to go... Um, you know, along with a lot of other people like the Dolphins head coach, the Packers head coach, like that, that 2016 uh, head coach, I mean, not coach, uh, coaching tree or whatever in Atlanta was, had a ton of talent. Uh, Dan Quinn, though, insanely nice guy. Can't say enough about him. Um, so, I mean, I didn't really have any strong feelings on uh, Shanahan getting the best of Dan Quinn. I think they're both two, you know, excellent coaches, um, especially with Shanahan on offense, Dan Quinn on defense. Um, not a huge Cowboys fan, so I was definitely okay with uh, the 49ers giving it to him, but um, yeah. <laughs> we can agree on that. Uh, Evan Birchfield of the Falcoholic, uh, which is the SB Nation site for the Falcons. Really good insight on the commander's opponent this Sunday afternoon. Evan, thank you and all the best. Of course, of course. Thanks for having me on. All right. Lots to be thinking about with Commanders Falcons from a fantasy perspective. Underdog Fantasy is the best and easiest place to play fantasy sports, and it is offering a limited time enhanced special offer to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a deposit match of up to $500 for all new customers who sign up with the promo code GALDI. My last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI. Uh, check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Underdog Fantasy offers pick'em games by which you can win up to 20 times on your money in one day and offers a pick'em insurance, which gives you a little wiggle room if you're not as confident in an entry. And when it comes to season-long fantasy, Underdog Fantasy offers a zero-stress scenario of no waivers, no trades, even no lineup setting. We all know that playing fantasy sports can be ultra-time-consuming. Well, Underdog Fantasy removes the time consumption but keeps the fun and the potential to win money. And take advantage of the free money if you sign up now with the promo code GALDI, my last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI, 
Underdog Fantasy will double your first deposit with up to $500 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of at least $10. So in other words, if you deposit $500, you get $500 for free. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code GALDI. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app and use the promo code GALDI. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and must be present in a state in which underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, we all love the NFL and we all love pizza. So make Little Caesars part of your NFL game day. Little Caesars is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL. Order online during Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame, which is one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day Sunday. You can pick your favorite Little Caesars pizza. You can pick the toppings that you crave, kind of like picking players for your fantasy team, only with Little Caesars pizza you never lose. And Little Caesars offers convenient delivery as well as the in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the game. Little Caesars Pizza Pizza. Well, the Orioles entered the 2023 MLB playoffs having not been swept in each of the team's last 91 series. An amazing run. But the O's in the 2023 MLB playoffs got swept. Uh, A terrible ending to an outstanding season. A 7-1 loss at the Texas Rangers on Tuesday night to conclude a three-game sweep in a best-of-five American League Division series. The Orioles' first playoff appearance since 2016 did not go well, uh, although their overall 2023 season did go well. This is a tricky deal if you're an O's fan. The O's in the 2023 regular season went in American League best 101-61, and good for the team's best regular season winning percentage since 1971. The O's over the last 
Two seasons have seen the team's win total surge. 52 wins in the 2021 regular season, 83 wins in the 2022 regular season, 101 wins in the 2023 regular season. The O's at the major league level are loaded with quality young talent. The O's at the minor league level are stacked. They, per MLB Pipeline, have six of the top 50 prospects in baseball, including the number one prospect in baseball, shortstop slash second baseman Jackson Holiday. Uh, the O's have a front office led by executive vice president and general manager Mike Elias that is forward thinking and all in on analytics and has demonstrated a tremendous aptitude for making great transactions. There is so much to be happy with and excited about if you are an O's fan, but what happened this postseason was rough, really rough. Uh, Q&A with Orioles manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference late night on Tuesday night. Uh, Brandon, I, I didn't see what you were doing right after the game was ended, but a bunch of your players were sitting on the rail watching the Texas celebration and really seemed to be kind of taking it in. Is yeah. there something to that and, and taking, you know, obviously the, the disappointment of this moment and spin it forward. Well, we have a lot of guys that have never been in the postseason before. And so, um, you know, it's this hurts and it's okay to hurt and it's okay to it's okay to have this kind of fuel your fire in the off season. You know, it's going to take a little bit while to, for us to get over this a little bit, but um, I think our guys are going to come in hunting hungry in spring training. The guys that are coming back, especially the young guys, knowing what this feels like, knowing what this tastes like, and it's, it sucks. So, um, you know, if they did soak it in a little bit, um, I think they'd be better for it down the road. So the O's over their final 11 games of the 2023 regular season scored two runs or less in seven of the 11 games. The offense was not in a good place coming into the postseason, and sure enough, the offense did not perform well in the postseason. The O's in their 7-1 loss at the Rangers on Tuesday night scored just one run, uh, totaled just six hits, worked just two walks, and went one for two with runners in scoring position. All six of the Orioles' hits were singles. Uh, The Rangers' starting pitcher was Nathan Evaldi. uh, One run in seven innings, seven strikeouts versus no walks. Nathan Evaldi is a guy with Significant postseason experience, key member of the 2018 World Series champion Boston Red Sox, and he on Tuesday night worked the O's. Uh, the Orioles' offense was good in the 11-8 loss to the Rangers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Sunday in ALDS Game 2, but also was bad in the 3-2 loss to the Rangers at Camden Yards on Saturday afternoon in ALDS Game 1. The offense was bad in two of the three games in this series. Uh, the Orioles starting pitching, major disappointment in this series. Dean Kramer, uh, he in this 7-1 loss at the Rangers on Tuesday night lasted for just one and two-thirds innings, marking a second consecutive game in which an Orioles starting pitcher lasted for just one and two-thirds innings. Kramer on Tuesday night allowed six runs in one and two-thirds innings. He gave up seven hits, two home runs, two doubles, and three singles. He issued an intentional walk. He did not record a single strikeout. He over his one and two-thirds innings threw 53 pitches, 37 strikes versus 16 balls. Now, It is worth noting that Dean Kramer is of dual citizenship. He is a citizen of both the United States of America and of Israel. 
Uh, Kramer in 2015, in fact, became the first Israeli player taken in an MLB draft. He has family in Israel. So who knows what was on his mind on Tuesday night. But if we are just looking at things from a baseball standpoint, the Orioles starting pitcher in each of the final two games of this series lasted for just one and two-thirds innings. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez in the 11-8 loss to the Rangers at Camden Yards on Sunday in ALDS Game 2 allowed five runs in one and two-thirds innings. And Kyle Bradish, he in the 3-2 loss to the Rangers at Camden Yards on Saturday afternoon in ALDS Game 1 allowed two runs in four and two-thirds innings. Uh, the Orioles bullpen on Tuesday night was good. Four Orioles relievers combined to allow one run in six and a third innings. But that ended up not mattering. Uh, you could always email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Jerry Moore late night on Tuesday night, writes Jerry, sad to see the O's who played great baseball all year play so haplessly versus the Rangers. But the O's will be back and even better next year. Hopefully, Gunner will learn how to hit lefties and the young pitchers will be more experienced and so much talent still on the way. Go O's. Uh, thank you. For the email, Jerry, uh, Gunnar Henderson on Tuesday night did have three of the Orioles' six hits. Uh, he is the Orioles' starting shortstop, and number one batter went three for four with an RBI single and two other singles. Gunnar Henderson, in the coming weeks, almost certainly will be winning American League Rookie of the Year. Brandon Hyde, in the coming weeks, could be winning American League Manager of the Year. But yeah, <laughs> uh, all of that rings kind of hollow right now. Uh, here was another Q&A with Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference late night on Tuesday night. Brandon, a lot to process. Um, probably not the outcome of the series that you wanted, but as you look back, will you consider the season a success? How can I not? We're supposed to win 76 games, won 101, won the American League East. Proud of, really proud of our group. Um, they defied all the odds. Nobody gave us a chance. Um, they, these guys played their butts off for six months. We just we just didn't play well for these la- these last three unfortunately and um but it's definitely a successful season and these guys are gonna be really good going forward and that absolutely is the right way to be looking at things and that will do it for you and me for now, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 676. We'll provide you with more on the Commanders as they on Wednesday are beginning their practice week for their game at the Atlanta Falcons Sunday afternoon at 1. We on Wednesday expect to hear from both head coach Ron Rivera and quarterback Sam Howell via press conferences. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth!